Support is provided in part by Conway Shield. Those who answer the call and risk it all for the safety and well-being of others deserve someone willing to give their all in return. Conway Shield is built on the shoulders of three service legacies. Customizing the nation's very best firefighting shields has expanded to providing the most effective technology, tools, and training for today's fire and law leaders. Learn more at ConwayShield.com. The recording you'll hear in this episode of the Leadership Under Fire, Humanizing the Narrative podcast features LUF Tactical Performance Advisor, Captain Mike Gooley. It was delivered as an online presentation to leaders enrolled in an online LUF coaching firefighters and fire officers to perform optimally at fires and emergencies course. The course equips leaders and tactical trainers with tools, concepts, and coaching strategies that optimize individual and unit level performance under pressure. Mike joined the ranks of the FDNY in 2005 and was a firefighter in Engine Company 290 in East New York, Brooklyn. He served as a lieutenant in Engine Company 55 in Lower Manhattan and presently serves as the company commander of Tower Ladder 86. Mike serves as a lead tactical coach for the FDNY's MPI program. He has both a bachelor's degree and master's degree in human nutrition. So what is a mentor do? A mentor shares their knowledge, their skill, their experience to help another develop and grow in their field or profession. Our profession, of course, is firefighting. And the mentor-mentee relationship, it's a very powerful one and it's a special relationship. Uh, A mentor can be seen as somebody who's achieved a certain level of mastery in their craft, right? So in the fire department, I had a great mentor, right? He was my personal Yoda, my firefighting guru, so to speak, right? A mentor has a more personal one-on-one relationship with somebody compared to just say, like a coach, okay? You need certain qualities such as expertise in your field, which for us, again, is firefighting. You need to be a skilled teacher, be able to teach the concepts. You need to be a great communicator. And sometimes what could be even more important is you need to be a great listener so you can get that feedback and understand where somebody's coming from and hear what they have to say in relation to what you're trying to teach. Because sometimes you think you're communicating a point and the person is not able to receive it on the other end, okay? You gotta be able to provide in that realm of communication, constructive feedback. You gotta be able to treat others with respect and you have to be enthusiastic about your role and responsibility as a mentor for somebody. You may not have chosen to be a mentor, but someone may say, hey, that's my mentor based on how you are. So you have personal interest in somebody if, if they're looking at you as a mentor and you have a responsibility in that firefighter. So obviously you're gonna be taking a lot of pride in your own work. A mentor could be a senior firefighter or an officer, okay? Uh, as a firefighter, I had a great privilege of having a mentor and that was my senior man. In my, in my engine company as a firefighter. Okay, he shared his knowledge, demonstrated his skill, and offered his experiences freely to us to help us develop and grow as firefighters. He never played favorites, and he was always there to sometimes have the difficult conversations when conflict arose between officers and firefighters alike. And he was able to remain impartial and respect all the parties involved. It was a very uh, important role that that he had, and it was very impressive uh, to see him do that. From his perspective, and what became my perspective by him being my mentor was, it was always about performing the optimal tactics at a fire, 
regardless of what the outcome might have been. So it was very process focused. Did we have good rig positioning? Did we stretch the hose line correctly? Did we take the correct position? Yes, the fire went out. Eventually all the fires go out, but what was our process to get there? And is there need for improvement? Or do we need to practice some of the things that maybe we got wrong? He was very big on making sure the entire firehouse was on the same page and understanding the why, why we did this, why this wouldn't have worked, why we could have done something different. A very crucial question. And this was also the why behind house policy or a standard operating procedure or SOP, okay? A word on SOPs. They're based on best practices to achieve consistent, reliable results. The benefits of that include increased predictability. They save time, right? There's a safety factor. Where are we supposed to be or expected to be operating at this particular occupancy? If there's some sort of uh, collapse or something, where would we be? based on our SOP, our standard operating procedures. So there's a safety element there. They also remove some decision-making and that's due to like, you're not wasting time on how to figure out what we should do here. Okay, that's already been figured out. It's already been laid out. So that eliminates some of that decision-making and puzzles that could go on in your head at the seat of a, a fire operation. The SOPs will provide clear expectations, but they could also expose a member's deficiencies or possibly even uh, incompetencies, okay? And in that situation, you wanna ask that question, you know, why did we deviate from the SOP at this particular operation? Well, the member could have a very valid reason and when we dive into that and figure out why, maybe there was a few more curveballs that were unexpected. And that could be some valid reasons. And maybe it adds to our database of experience and, and our knowledge, okay, in case it happens to the next person. And it's, it, there's a lot of great lessons to be learned there. As a new lieutenant transitioning from a firefighter to a lieutenant, I did receive some career path advice from my previous officers, but I didn't have an officer mentor. They, they put you through uh, a first line supervisor's training program, but it's not actually mentoring. But I knew what I wanted to accomplish as a Lieutenant going to a new borough and, and being part of a new firehouse. And I also knew what I didn't want to become. I had to be mindful to avoid some of the negativity that can set you down that path. There's some pitfalls. You hear terms like, hey, that office is jaded. Hey, he's checked out, he's about to retire. He's aloof, you know, he thinks he's better than everybody else. Or he's unapproachable or just plain angry. There's plenty of things to be angry about in the world if you bring it to, to work. You could be mad at politics, local, international, you could be upset with your leadership, you could be upset with your family life, okay? There's plenty of things, and that's who I did not want to be. As a lieutenant, what did I expect for myself? What did I want? What did I want to see in myself? Well, I wanted to be competent. I wanted to be resilient. Uh, I wanted to, to, to take on that responsibility of taking care of this company. And you want to have a meaningful relationship with our members and we wanna have an impact on the firehouse culture and those members in the firehouse. As I transitioned into the captain's role, there's a difference compared to when I was a lieutenant because now I had an increase in my responsibilities as I was gonna have three lieutenants assigned to me. And within that, I have greater decision-making Okay, I have to evaluate whether my lieutenants are competent in addition to my firefighters. 
are my lieutenants carrying their share of the load? And how are they perceived by my members? Because my members are providing me with that feedback. Hey Cap, I don't know about this lieutenant. He seems like he's off lately. Hey Cap, this lieutenant doesn't know his job. All right, well, I do get that feedback. And then as a captain, I have to weigh that out. Whereas lieutenant, it was just show up, lead the, lead the members for the tour and, and do my own administrative responsibilities, right? So when trying out a new lieutenant due to an opening in the company, might be retirement, might be a long-term medical leave or even a vacation, you got to make decisions. So you could have the super tactically competent Awesome lieutenant at Flyers. He's an all-star, but is actually terrible at everything else. And we've seen this numerous times. So 95% of the time, we're not at a fire. The rest of the picture is he could be an issue and could be a problem. It could be something that could bring the firehouse down on many levels. Maybe he's somebody that rarely shares his knowledge and experience. Okay, it's like the great basketball player that can't teach you how to do a free throw. He knows how to do it, but he can't teach it. All right. So you could also have, again, that all-star, but he doesn't relate to the members or doesn't get along with them or has a real uh, piss poor attitude. Right. So that lieutenant would not be getting an endorsement from me to get the spot. And this could be a very difficult conversation to tell a lieutenant that maybe I'm personally very friendly with that, you know, I, you'd be great operating at a fire with me, but you're not gonna get my endorsement for the spot because you're not a good fit for the company. Because the company is bigger than me. I may be the captain, I may be in that commander's role, but I'm thinking about all 25 of my members, not just my personal relationship with, with a friend that, again, may not be a good fit for the company, okay? The competency that he has, well, that's a minimum requirement, okay? You have to be competent, but it's not the only requirement. Another issue that comes up is if you already have assigned officers to you. So these lieutenants were there before me, but this is where some coaching comes into play. Sometimes one of your lieutenants needs to be refocused on the overall mission and reminded of their responsibility to the members of the house, to the public, and of course, the, the job in general. And just like knowing what's happening in the lives of your firefighters, you need to connect with your lieutenants to see if something is impacting them at home and now it's affecting their work performance and their attitude. And more than once, this was the case, and I had to have a heart-to-heart -heart conversation with the lieutenant, and um, it, it you know, led to some a, a great conversation, and we were able to right the ship, so to speak. We were both made to see the value that he brings to the table and what it looked like when, when it was absent, okay? Because it did, it did affect things. So the concept of that mentor is you could be a mentor in that captain's role to some of the junior lieutenants and also your firefighters. But again, that mentor role is a very one-on-one -on -one relationship. And it's one of the hats you may wear as an officer. So moving on from the mentor is the concept of a coach. I look at a coach as they're responsible for how the entire team or fire company operates. They do individual and team building and assist in creating that unit cohesion that's so important. A coach is teaching many skills and techniques and assures that the team is making progress. You can coach your top performers to tweak their performance as well as coach and teach the new firefighter that may be struggling with some of the basics. You may have the very heavily muscled, super strong guy 
that has sloppy technique, okay, whether it's forcing a door or handling a hose line. But for the most part, they're able to overcome all their obstacles by sheer strength and brute force alone. So what you have to do with this individual is you don't give them a pass. You need to focus them on learning the correct technique for maybe in the future when their strength is waning or they have an injury or as time goes on and they move up in seniority in your fire company and now they're there teaching the next generation of firefighter. Well, if they show them the bad technique that they got away with, the next generation could be learning a poor technique, right? And it could fail them. So you have the opposite problem. You may have the smaller, say less muscled firefighter, right? Firefighters come in all shapes and sizes. And that firefighter has to nail down the techniques and learn to use the larger muscle groups of the body, the hips, the thighs, the upper back, all right? Not get caught up with just using the arms. And they have to learn the proper techniques to use the correct leverage. You could teach a firefighter of, of any height or weight to use the tools correctly to maximize their leverage. So they need to do that to compensate for maybe their lack of, of raw strength. A good coach is constantly watching the execution of evolutions during drill to see if a member is operating optimally or not. Um, whether you're coaching two firefighters to advance a two and a half inch hose line down a hallway or two members forcing a door together, coordinating a team search among multiple members or packaging and removing a down firefighter. It's all crucial that you're there watching them, coaching them, giving them the most fine points. You're setting up drills where the members must work together, where you have to accomplish the task or the mission, you have members of various abilities and strength levels. You don't always just put the two, two A team members together and say, hey, go do this. You gotta take the stronger members, the weaker members, maybe more tactically proficient and, and maybe not so, so proficient and see how they work together. And it creates a, a challenging scenario for all involved. When you have that all-star and you have the person that's struggling, the all-star gets frustrated and can get thrown off his game. And then you have the person that's struggling can feel like, hey, how am I contributing here? And, and they might be feeling a lot of peer pressure and going down a mental spiral that we got to make sure we're not allowing to happen. We're trying to build our people up, not smash them down. So when coaching and training my team, I like to take a crawl walk, run approach, right? So first the firefighter must learn to crawl. So the focus is on learning the basic skills of whatever we're teaching and build the muscle memory and confidence through constant repetitions. So that they don't even have to think about it any, anymore. They just got that good form and it's, it's right every single time. When they accomplish that, we move on to the walk phase. So in the walk phase, we are reinforcing the good technique, but now we'll add like the full PPE firefighter gear and an SCBA on their back. And this increases the difficulty of the same techniques because you have movement restrictions with all your firefighter gear and a mask on your back. And this could increase your fatigue factor, which again will affect your performance. They're doing well with that. We'll move on to the run phase. This might be a full scenario. I might grab engine and truck members, combine them together. I might mix them up. I may have a complicated scenario. Maybe some members will have a blacked out face piece. We'll be on air. There'll be a lot more distractions such as radio traffic, operational stress, obstacles such as furniture and a time component. Now these are not designed to make the members fail. It's a challenge to overcome. And how we speak to that can be very important. If I tell you, hey, we have a problem to solve, that's very different than me saying, hey, I got a challenge for you. The challenge sounds positive. 
And that's what we wanna think. I'm not testing you for failure. I'm testing you to, to succeed. And I want you to do better, okay? So how I frame things could be important to how you respond. I never want anyone to dread a drill. I want them excited. I want them to look forward to it. Hey, we're gonna learn something today. So within the realm of coaching, uh, I move on to the concept of a tactical coach. With the tactical coaching, we really need to do that deep dive into the tactics and techniques required. And we need to be able to communicate it effectively, right? The difference for us in the fire service versus a football or baseball coach is we don't coach from the sidelines or the dugout, right? We, we have our, our own tactics and fire ground responsibilities that we need to perform. So it could be challenging to be doing our own job as well as overseeing your firefighters operating and making sure they're doing things the correct way. So the chaos of a fire scene, it could be challenging to be that tactical coach in, in, in the live fire scene. So where it starts is you yourself have to be squared away three ways, physically, tactically, and mentally. And the more calm and confident you are in your own abilities, the more information you could process, which you can make good decisions on, all right? And you could see more of the bigger picture as to what's going on, okay? When we get stressed, a lot of times we get what's called a tunnel vision. And maybe we only see one aspect of the operation and not the larger picture, okay? So I'm gonna be less stressed if I'm squared away mentally, tactically, and physically. I'm ready for this fire, okay? So now when I'm coaching my members, I'm looking at them and I'm doing my assessments. You know, one of the first things, are they physically prepared? Are they physically fit? Are they tactically trained and prepared? How well are they coming into my firehouse with that? And now, the other aspect is, are they mentally prepared, okay? So in the tactical coaching realm, I look at, and I, I stress to my members, uh, functional fitness for the fire floor. So this is something I, I, I speak to a lot. And a quick example is, I recommend the Stairmaster for my members versus running, right? And why is that? Well, running is great for overall, health and conditioning, but the Stairmaster is really functional. And it's part of what we do every day. When we respond to report of a fire on 18th floor and the elevator's out of service, how are we getting there? We gotta run up those stairs. So I have a great firefighter in my house. He runs five miles a day every day. But yet we had a day where we went to the eighth floor of a building three times in a row because the elevator, carbon monoxide and something else. And he was out of breath every single time when he reached that eighth floor and I wasn't. And I'm 10 years older than him. Why? Because I do functional training. I'm on that Stairmaster. And I could do a Stairmaster for 10 minutes at any time of the week I could find 10 minutes. That's my time. That's 42 flights of stairs or 44 flights of stairs. Whereas if he runs five miles, he's doing that in like say 40 minutes. So he has to block out a larger point of, uh, period of the day to accomplish this. And it's not a knock on running, but I'm just saying, I say, hey, let's be functional with our fitness. Make sure we're working the, the entire body. We're not just the, the curls for the girls, so to speak, right? Not just the biceps. You gotta work your hip muscles, your back muscles, your leg muscles, so that you're building your, your overall strength and stamina for the fire floor. So as a tactical coach, what do you want to accomplish? What are the needs of your members? What are your or my expectations for them versus what are their expectations? I want to foster a learning environment and build my people up, build their confidence up, build their strength up, build themselves uh, to be good firefighters. And that starts with me modeling the behavior that I want. And I also want to set reasonable expectations. Nobody likes a hypocrite. I heard a junior member say to one of the probies, and I had to talk to him afterwards. He says, hey, just do what I say, 
don't watch what I'm doing. And I realized that he was slacking. He didn't want to wear his proper PPE on, on a run or whatever. And he was being lazy. And the probie right away just looked at him and it was, I could just tell by his facial expression that he's looking at him saying like, you're a hypocrite. So I will never be a hypocrite. I never ask my members to do anything that I'm not doing myself. So I, if I want them to do something, I'm modeling that behavior. I'm squared away, I'm dialed in on every run, every tour, because that's what I want from my members. I don't get a pass because I'm 20 years older than some of them, right? That's, that's got nothing to do with it. I got to model the behavior that I want. So this process is always going to start with a self-assessment and look at how I can improve myself, reflect on my strengths and weaknesses, and then try to build them up and maintain my strengths while I'm working on my, my weaknesses. And that self-improvement might be reading a little bit more and then doing more, whether it's books on tactics, whether it's my department books, or is it dealing with some of the uh, exercise physiology or getting a little deeper into nutrition or looking at some of the sports psychology that we're finding out is very useful and has great translation to what we do in the fire service. So while I'm improving myself, my members are also seeing that. So speaking of the physical, are my firefighters and myself physically trained and prepared to fight a fire right now today? Did we show up for work well rested? Did we try to obtain proper nutrition and stay hydrated? Right. We always want to be drinking water to stay ahead of dehydration because it has a negative impact on our performance. Another thing that I'm seeing uh, quite commonly is a lot of yo-yo dieting, right? Where members um, gain weight and lose weight and they're kind of like all over the place. And sometimes they'll have a, a, a fat loss contest and large weight gain or loss can have negative health effects, right? It affects multiple body systems. I have witnessed this past summer, uh, one of the members that was in the process of adapting to a very different diet than what he'd been doing for many years. And at this particular fire, he actually passed out, okay? So uh, he was outside the building when it happened and he, he was okay. But he did tell me afterwards that the doctor told him that he was pretty dehydrated and he had been drinking a lot of water and whatnot, but because he was uh, not taking in any carbohydrates at all, his body was dumping stored water and he dropped like 10 pounds in, in two days. So that, that's a, a significant stress on, on your body. And the, the human body is, it's incredibly amazing. It can adapt to almost any condition and diet. You have Eskimos doing great on a very super high fat, high protein diet. And then you have um, different, different tribes and whatnot in, in parts of the world that are on like an 80% high carbohydrate diet. And they're doing fantastic a, a, as well. Uh, another common thing is people getting into intermittent fasting and not eating for two or three days. And Again, the human body can adapt to, to almost anything, but you want to think about long-term sustainability and how you'll perform under the extreme physical stress of wearing your full PPE and SCBA, running up six flights of stairs before you even swing an ax or operate a hose line. So if you're trying to do one of those things, and again, this, this is not a nutrition lecture or anything about that, I'm not judging anybody's uh, you know, systems, but an idea might be if you want to do any of that experimental extreme dieting, do it while you're on vacation. Okay. So if it works for you, it's great. Any kinks, you're not feeling right. You need to check in with your doctor. You straighten that out before you show up at work. Okay. Cause we, we can't have you passing out on the fire floor. All right. Uh, another important thing on the topic of physical health and all my members trained and prepared is sleep, all right? Sleep is a critical component of physical and mental well-being. Restoration and repair of your body 
occurs only when you're sleeping, right? Poor sleep leads to poor health. And there's numerous studies from neuropsychologists, diabetes specialists, cardiologists, exercise physiologists, and sleep doctors. And they have reams of studies on the deleterious effects of sleep deprivation on physical and cognitive performance. So in our business, we don't always have the, uh, the luxury of, of optimizing sleep. So it, it's something that, that could come into play. Uh, I happen to wear a, a biofeedback device. It's called the Whoop. Uh, there are many similar products out there on the market. This is not a, a sales pitch for that. And it, what I like about it is, is it tracks my heart rate. It'll track my heart rate variability. And most important for me is it does a good job of tracking my sleep. All right. So a few days of suboptimal sleep and I'm feeling mentally sluggish and physically off, I'll check in with my, my metrics and schedule myself either a break or a nap or maybe not take on something too difficult or taxing until I'm in a better state. And on this topic of sleep deprivation, I'm going to say a few words on the world's most consumed performance enhancing substance or drug is caffeine, all right? Caffeine is great. It can increase concentration, focus, and physical performance, but it's not a substitute for sleep. It can help you through periods of lack of sleep, but it is not restorative, okay? You could stay up for three days straight drinking caffeine drinks, and you will be by the third day delirious, and it will not have any sort of helpful effects at that point. It does not restore your body. It's sort of a, a temporary fix or, or crutch, right? Coffee and tea are in every firehouse in the country, and they have many health benefits. They're loaded with antioxidants, but like anything else, moderation is key. There are some negative effects, and uh, when you talk in excessive consumption, this includes increased anxiety. And this is something most people don't realize. And it's especially common with like teenagers. You know, they tend to do things with a little bit less impulse control. And a lot of firefighters, uh, they say we still act like teenagers, right? So uh, an increase in anxiety could, could, uh, could cause us some more issues on the fire floor. Increased blood pressure, right? While the caffeine is in your system, Again, where we are extreme tactical athletes when we're operating at a fire. So that excessive blood pressure could cause a problem. And it can also, again, excessive consumption interfere with fine motor skills. So, you know, you don't want your bomb technician drinking three monsters and cutting the wrong wire. Okay. <laughs> so uh, the other thing is if you have it too late at night, it could interfere with your sleep. Again, that restoration process which is uh, so important. And these effects can be seen more commonly with like say the energy drinks compared to coffee or tea. The energy drinks that are on the market, you know, whatever the brands are, they have a lot of products, uh, additional synergistic uh, compounds in there to really give you that jolt compared to say coffee or tea, which has other, other things in it that may modulate some of those other effects, right? Uh, moving on to the tactics, are, are we proficient in the department required tactics that we're expected to perform? Do we understand why we are doing them? We have individual as well as team tactics based on our order of arrival and type of occupancy. So when it comes to our tactics, we want to ask the questions, right? What went well? What can we do better? What do you think, right? So you want to ask this to all your members and open up this discussion with your own answers, all right? So you're in that officer role and say, hey, I could have done this better. I liked what we did here. This was good. This was not so good. Hey, I made a mistake, right? This lets them know that you are critiquing yourself as well as the entire team. You don't get the pass just because uh, you're the officer. Um, when we start talking about we did the physical, we did the tactical. We're moving on to some of the mental, right? Mental performance is something that is really 
been in the background in the fire service and we'd start to dive a little bit deeper into it now. And mental performance starts with a proper, positive, prepared mindset. So you're thinking and preparing for your next operation as an individual, as well as a company. You feel confident that based on your training and ability, you will be able to accomplish the mission. That's your mindset. So a proper mindset in the engine company is we're going to get a hose line in place in the quickest manner, properly flaked out, and we're going to put this fire out. So you're, you're already laying out what is actually going to happen and you have that proper mindset, right? A truck mindset might be, we're going to locate the fire. We're going to search for life and we're going to facilitate the engine company extinguishing the fire with our coordinated ventilation. Another concept in the mental performance realm is mindfulness. Now, mindfulness has been a concept that it was brought to my attention uh, as I was journeying and coming along into this leadership under fire. And when you say mindfulness, it could sound very new agey, but what it actually is, as taught by Dr. Jonathan Fader, one of the contributors to leadership under fire, is the practice of bringing one's attention to the present moment. You're not thinking or rehashing the past or worrying too far into the future. Those are two items I have no control over. The past already happened. We don't know what the future is gonna bring. So being mindful means slowing down to check in what you're experiencing and feeling while evaluating it, what's going on. This self-awareness that maybe I'm not 100% happy with my performance right after an fire or operation, I'll dive into it deep and see why, why might I have been off, okay? I'm not looking for excuses, but maybe some human factors are at play and are impacting me. So I'll give you an example. One summer a few years ago, I noticed some health issues creeping up on me and I went for some, some blood work. Speaking with my doctor and wife, I realized that I had back-to-back-to-back weeks of very poor sleep due to working my firehouse tours, lots of overtime, side work, and home repairs. I worked like 28 days straight without a day off in the heat of the summer with a broken air conditioner. Um, It left me feeling raw in my emotions. Uh, I had poor physical recovery, a lot of nagging injuries some headaches, and a feeling of general exhaustion. So it took a toll on my normally upbeat, gung-ho self. And I felt that it was leading to some subpar performance to to my own standards. I, I was off my game. So my wife said to me, hey, when are you gonna take your own advice? You need a break, you need a reset, you need to slow down and regroup. You pride yourself on your ability to grind things out, but if you saw one of your firefighters doing what you've been doing with this crazy schedule, you'd coach him to take a break and recover so you can come back even stronger and be a little bit more balanced, right? And she was right. I I needed to take my own advice and I needed to apply this concept of mindfulness to keep myself in balance. So it was actually thrust right, right upon me. This is just a quote from Michelangelo or the rule of three. Body, mind, spirit, earth, sun, moon. Simple concepts, everyone, easy to remember. The rule of threes is, it's an ancient observation we talked about in days of Plato and Socrates, that ideas given in sets or groups of three are especially interesting and memorable. And we know from neuroscience studies that our brains are constantly seeking out patterns in in the world. And we find the concept and structure of three to be a complete set, right? Three is the least number of items in a series that can make a pattern. So how do I use this information? Well, 
I always ask for three takeaways from a fire, emergency, or drill. When I'm training or doing a drill with my engine company chauffeurs, I try to remind them of three things that they need to do to get the rig to operate correctly. So my engine company chauffeurs or motor pump operators, engineers, whatever you call them, our rigs have a professional governor and it's a certain sequence, three Ps, pumps, prime, preset. It's easy to remember. They follow that sequence, we get water, we have a safety factor. For my forcible entry team, they're about to attack that, that steel door. I want three things, gap the door, set your tool and force. Gap, set, force, easy to remember. My roof firefighter, one of our tactics at a high rise fireproof multiple dwelling, he's operating on the floor above in the apartment directly above the fire. I want three key pieces of information. These are the three most important things to me. And I want these three things. I want a layout. Tell me how many bedrooms are up there. Tell me, give me a layout. Where's the kitchen? Where's the bathroom, right? Give me a layout, fire location, if it could be determined. Hey, it's blowing out the kitchen window, right? And do we have a wind condition? Something that's gonna impact us on the fire floor. Three key pieces of information. I keep it simple with them. Give me three. My OV, simple enough, right? What are we looking for? You're gonna vent, you're gonna enter, isolate, close the door if you can, and search. Then enter search. Three things easy enough to remember. As a truck officer working with an engine officer coming into this fire, ultimately, what's our goal? We want to locate the fire, confine it, and then extinguish it. All right. My reports that I give to the chief what is he looking for? How do I structure it? Three things. The acronym is CAN conditions, action, needs. What conditions am I facing? Chief, I got smoke in the hallway. What are my actions? We're forcing the door, apartment 3K. What are my needs? We're gonna need that hose line up here. Okay, three simple things. When it comes to my drills, all my drills are built out with three goals. I want a physical component, I want a tactical component, and I want a mental component. So I begin my drills with praise and appreciation to create a positive atmosphere, right? It's like a dentist starts with Novocaine. The patient still gets a drilling, but it numbs the pain, right? So there's a physical component. They have to get the muscle memory to go through it. There's a tactical component. Do they know what's expected? Do they know how to accomplish that? And then the mental, are they coming into it with the proper mindset? Are they able to keep their head in the game, especially if there's some operational stress thrown in or uh, performance issues that can develop from either peer pressure or just, just feeling like everyone's watching you. So we work a lot with, with those aspects. So I try to get those three components into my drills, a physical, a tactical, and a mental. So you're getting something, okay? So this photo here, uh, we had a smoke detector go off inside this residence. And while checking out the second floor, we found a real tight stairway to the attic storage area, right? Which led to numerous discussions and drills on like a hose line access, engine truck coordination and possible scenarios of how would we get a firefighter down these stairs and what would that look like, all right? So as a tactical coach, I'm constantly thinking of what else can we take away from this run emergency or fire, right? Where are the friction points that can slow us down or cause a delay in us getting to the seat of fire or delay our exit if conditions become suddenly dangerous, right? This is all done obviously after we mitigate the, the original call, right? But what I'm trying to do is build into my firefighter's mindset that we're constantly sizing up. It's a crucial skill. I'm constantly thinking of new ways to use what's available to create a good training experience for them. The members observe me literally on every run looking for a teachable moment or something that will inspire my next drill. They see my wheels are always turning, right? 
And it could be an unconventional layout uh, for that particular type of occupancy. It could be a new security feature that we haven't seen yet. It could be a building construction, uh, especially potential failure points due to the age of the building, whether uh, weather exposure, if uh, rot has taken place or rust or poor quality materials and shoddy workmanship, right? All things to talk about and discuss how buildings will behave differently when they're not properly maintained. Um, the members observe me doing this and they know how I think and operate now. And my goal is to make the team better and improve their knowledge database, right? What's going on up here. So they appreciate, and they tell me they appreciate my authenticity and they, and they know that I'm looking out for them. And we don't have, and this is across the country, the fire duty of the past, right? That's, that's just the reality. So we have to be vigilant in learning the techniques that we may need to use at a fire or emergency and become more competent and comfortable in doing them to the best of our ability. We have to kill the virus of the mind known as complacency. It could spread very quickly and have deadly consequences. This is another example of one of the simple drills we do. Uh, we take the rig out and this drill is to assess how well the member can handle the controls of the bucket with the goal of just touching the top of the cone and avoid crushing it, okay? Simple stuff like that. Um, this photo here is I was working with some out-of-state firefighters specifically on advancing uh, 180 gallon per minute flow with an inch and three quarter hose line. The technique and form were dialed in for the nozzle and backup firefighters, which originally started off as they were very uncoordinated and could not, they could not advance the line with any speed, in some cases, not at all. All right, they were not using their large muscle groups and they were just trying to get through it. And until then we fixed their form and got them working together, right? The proper technique led to less exertion on their part and a quick advance down a 50 foot straightaway, right? They, were, they admittedly uh, were used to only 150 gallon per minute flow hose line. And what they said was, you know, we were getting away with poor technique and that wasn't going to work with the greater nozzle reaction you receive with that 180 gallon per minute uh, line that was flowing. So they were like, it was like an uncoordinated dance where the two dancers are stepping on each other's toes. Okay. They were thumping and falling all over the place because they weren't coordinated. So we had to deal with that right away. So whether you're using like a, a hip grip or a clamp style, you got to perfect it. Your backup firefighter, you have to know how to help that nozzle firefighter advance. We also saw issues with that. And an officer, like I was in this scenario, as a tactical coach, you're observing what's working for them and what isn't. If you're advancing a hose line by yourself through the staffing, which is an issue all throughout the, the, uh, the country, not, not obviously so much in FDNY. Um, you got to practice te techniques and know the obstacles that you could face and how to overcome them, you know, under the watchful eye of an experienced senior firefighter or officer, right? Learning how to use uh, the environment to hold a position uh, as a backup firefighter if they're not there. Um, if the conditions dictate, you know, whether you're using a wall or ducking into a corner, right? These are all things that got to be practiced that are considered sometimes too basic for people, right? This proper inch and three quarter stretch, right? This is a foundational skill that if it's done incorrectly, there's little point in doing a more difficult evolution in hose stretches, right? So the tactical coach has to be evaluating, correcting, Poor technique, day one. So day one, you come to my firehouse with stretching a line. I want to see how you are handling it and see what your mechanics are. And I might give you a backup that's six foot eight, 300 pounds, or five foot two and 120 pounds. We should still be able to accomplish the mission using the proper technique. It's crucial.
I can't do a 15-line stretch around eight obstacles if you can't do it on a 50-foot straightaway. All right, so this is an example of great teamwork and tactical proficiency on display. All right, he's using his large muscles. He's got his leg out in like a lunge position, backup firefighter right on top of him, supporting him, and they had a, a great advance, right? This here is a single firefighter just demonstrating another style of how he's going to advance that hose based on him not having a backup firefighter in the area that he works, okay? A tactical coach has to find out what works for your members, and you have to know the advantages and disadvantages of the techniques based on your department size and the occupancies that you respond to and the number of members um, on that hose line that you'll be dealing with, okay? So you got to dial in on this basics. We're always going back to the basics. We were driving by this building recently and I asked the junior firefighter, hey, what floor do you think the bucket will reach? Uh, his response was, eh, maybe the fifth or sixth floor. So my response was, of course, hey, let's find out, right? So from the front of the building, we were able to get to like the fourth floor and if needed, could reach the bottom of the fifth floor with a ladder in the bucket. And from the rear of the building, we were able to get closer and reach the sixth floor. So always as a tactical coach, the best way to figure it out is to just do it and see what happens. The junior members set it up perfectly, got in position quickly, there was no issue. Another positive that came out of this was a resident from the building saw us drilling and first complimented on us that we were practicing our craft. Uh, he then, this gentleman then invited us into the building so we could see his apartment layout, okay? So we also found an underground garage that we didn't know about that could be accessed from a building that was another 100 feet away. Uh, we also tested radio communications from that underground garage, which were actually very poor. So just always looking for an opportunity to drill, always looking for something, keeping it simple, looking for something to, to discuss. This is a photo I took uh, in an area far removed from where uh, I am now and where I operate, but I thought it was interesting. I brought this back to my firehouse to discuss a possible game plan for an outside vent firefighter to bring a ladder to the rear, right? There's some unexpected complications due to the small extensions that were added on to the back of all these residents. This was both sides of the block. And it led to a great discussion. If you have some window bars and how would you get a ladder out and not be able to make that turn? What does it look like? What are those radio discussions, uh, radio transmissions in regards and how are we gonna accomplish this mission? So again, the guys see that here I am working somewhere else, but I'm still thinking about them, thinking about how they can be made better. This here is ideally, we would love to be able to train in live fire conditions, right? But that's largely unrealistic due to safety concerns and difficulty in obtaining acquired structures. It's just not reality. Uh, this is an annual flashover simulation training day with some various uh, volunteer departments participating. Uh, we added some discussion and demonstration of hand light use and when it's useful, when it's not, how maybe if you're following the smoke, what that means. Uh, at the end of the evolution, we simulated using a can. We created some steam uh, versus when we used the entire hose line to cool the environment. And then what that steam felt like when it hit us uh, without having that ventilation and how quickly things improved when we did receive that, that ventilation. So it was a lot, there was a lot to talk, talking, uh, to talk about and learn. They had a real great experience. Uh, so again, we'd love to be doing our drills in a scenario like this, uh, but it's, it's largely um, reserved for once a year annual training. So this is the rear of my firehouse prior to me getting hold of it, okay? Uh, there was an area, it was built as a bumped out between the rear of the building and it was used for some tool storage. But I looked at it differently. I saw an opportunity to make a drill prop. So I took a saw and cut it in half horizontally. 
Uh, I added a windowsill made from a two by six and reinforced the hinges. So now this is an inside photo of my new drill prop, right? It locks into the wall and lends itself to numerous drills from interior search to find a window, remove a civilian out of it, remove a down firefighter on the various and numerous configurations, head first, feet first, hung up, okay? Uh, we replace a ladder on the exterior and we practice two to one lifting evolutions with civilians versus firefighters. And we can really get into all the different variations. All right. It also became an opportunity for the probationary firefighter to use some hand tools and work with his captain. And that's building rapport and trust and a good dialogue between us. Okay. So the next phase of this, right, we use the space above to do a simulation of a HUD window removal. Right, so we use various tools and techniques, some of which were a little uh, were enlightening. Right, whether we were using the axe, the halligan, bolt cutters, sawzall. A member thought a certain tool would be his go-to, and then it turned out that that was, in particular for him, the most time-consuming way to defeat the window. So we had a plan A, but now he's seeing that there's other options. So again. We're back on the inside and we said, now let's add child window guards and try various ways to remove them, such as simulating we're on the inside and now we got to get out this window so we have our Halligan and Axe with us. So what did that look like? How did the members get to, to play around with that? And then if we're on the exterior and we're trying to deal with this, right, what tools available do we have? We still have those hand tools. We got that Halligan. We might have rebar cutters, we might have a sawzall, we might have bolt cutters. Well, the rebar cutter is out of service. Well, can we use the sawzall? Well, that's out of service. Oh, we don't have a blade. Let's do the bolt cutters, right? So everyone got a chance to go and everyone got involved. The next stage, we moved on to window bars and tools and techniques to overcome them. All members jumped in on these hands-on drills and it really got the members fired up with like, what else can we practice here? Right. Inevitably, I was asked, hey, Cap, how much did all this cost you? So my answer was, it didn't cost me anything compared to the invaluable lessons that we're all learning here together. If one day you come across one of these obstacles and you have the ability to overcome it because you got to practice it here today, or you're able to pass this knowledge on to someone else, well, that's gonna pay dividends that I can't even calculate. I'm investing in you guys, my team, the future leaders of this firehouse. So a few of them pulled me aside individually at different times and told me how much they appreciate, how much I care and I'm thinking about them and them learning the job. And they gave me the best compliment that I think you can get because it was said to me once as a lieutenant and I said it about one of my previous senior men and, and of course my officer, you know, Cap, I follow you to gates of hell, right? <laughs> so it's a corny line, but um, that's how much they trust me now because they see how much I'm putting into them and developing them, right? So this started out with, I was building them a drill prop what was also being built was trust, camaraderie, and mutual respect, right? They know I'm authentic and I want them to be the best that they could be. And I'm trying to give them those opportunities. I could ask this group to do anything because they know I would do anything for them. So this is another photo of uh, some members of my house right after one, another one of my challenging drills, right? So it's important that you know your leaders, the members above you, you know your team. You know your role as an officer involves responsibility to both, right? If you have some poor leaders above you, whether you believe them to be inexperienced, incompetent, or focused on the wrong mission, realize you still have responsibility to them. And that may include leading from the bottom up, right? So my responsibility is to provide a well-trained team of firefighters to accomplish whatever tasks or objectives the chief has laid out. 
but that doesn't preclude me from making a tactical decision or making a suggestion that may impact a particular operation in a positive manner, right? So to wrap this up, your responsibility and my responsibility to the firefighters is to be or become an expert in our craft so we can teach them. We have to learn how to communicate it to your members and assist them in attaining the skills and knowledge to improve themselves three ways, physically, tactically, and mentally. Leadership Under Fire podcast provides a platform that helps to prepare performance leaders to navigate the moral, mental, emotional, intellectual, and physical rigors in high-risk and ultra-competitive settings by developing strength of mind, body, character, and critical thought. For more on this, visit leadershipunderfire.com.